Welcome to the Evoke Greatness podcast. My name is Sunny, and this is my weekly podcast driven by my curious nature and fascination with the champion mindset. I have an insatiable hunger for growth and knowledge, and I'm dedicated to sharing the stories of myself and others and how we have navigated the journey to greatness, all while stumbling through valuable lessons along the way. I am a huge book nerd and a wee bit of a control enthusiast with an obsession for motivational coffee cups. I believe that a rising tide raises all ships, and I invite you along in this journey to evoke greatness. Welcome back to another episode of Evoke Greatness. My guest today, Carrie, founded her company, Sacred Path Coaching, in Ubud, Bali in 2019 and focuses on the themes of Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. With a borderless imagination and solution-centric mindset, Carrie believes we must first awaken before we can jump in the matrix. Carrie curates the Spoke Retreat experience for individuals and groups. Carrie, I would love to, I, first of all, welcome. So excited to be able to chat with you today and spend some time kind of going into your story. But I would love for you, you know, let's jump backwards a bit. I would love for you to share the story of really what you do today. How did you navigate where you started to kind of flourish over and over and evolve to where you where you are today? Absolutely. From the time I was six years old, I was drawn to the violin. My mom's best friend played it for me on a family vacation. And so you know how a lot of people struggle years and years, what am I going to do? Well, for me, it was just really like, that was my thing, right? So I studied violin many years, kind of like an Olympic athlete would. I had the that kind of dedication. I Up until um, 2 a.m. in the morning, I would play violin in the bathroom when I was 16 years wow. old. I, I was a geek. I was really a high school geek, <laughs> right? I never smoked any pot in high school, Didn't really didn't have any um, interest at all in boys. So I was on a path for classical violin. And so that's what I studied in school. I studied abroad some. And for me, and I hear this a lot with people in their career trajectory pivots. I hear so many people say, well, I never set out to do this. Like I was going to do this. And and that's kind of what happened to me. I had a very disappointing upset, kind of like dreams were were um, I had a great opportunity and it didn't work out. So I couldn't follow through and do my dream and, and study in London. So that really hit me. It was kind of like a little bit of a trauma. It broke my heart. Like the violin broke my heart the way maybe a boyfriend would, right? Like, so you shut down, you kind of bury it. And so I left for California. I grew up in, in the Midwest in Ohio. And so I always kind of kept it alive, but I made a decision. I, I gave up. And so I really started from the bottom because I had zero skills. I really had no skills. I studied music and I went straight into corporate and was immediately attracted most to the financial industry because, because it felt the most like home to me than when I was studying violin. The similarity is that there's a lot of type A musicians very driven, a lot of type A people in finance, right? So that's where I felt at home. I spent about 15, I don't want to date myself here, but wow, like 15 to 20 years in corporate and um, 
I was experiencing burnout. I was one of those people who would, you know, really overachieving and would always take on more and more and getting bonuses and everything. And and so I was performing well, but you know, I had a friend say to me, like, this, you know, Carrie, you're an artist. This isn't you. And let's be frank. I was drinking, um, you know, like some people might zone out with YouTube videos or some people might be workaholics. For me, I was tolerating that environment, the soul sucking work that wasn't really, I mean, it was draining and really wasn't fulfilling me. Right. So I was drinking wine at night to basically was highly functional, but, but checking out every night with wine. And so what's wrong with this picture, right? That's not normal. (laughs) Something's wrong. As a blessing, I got a, I was laid off and I got a huge severance package from a company that I won't name the name here, but they were $20 billion company at the time. And so I got a huge severance package and I, it started here. It started with a decision, a promise to myself really. And that is, I will never return to corporate. I don't care what I have to do. I'm just not going back. And so I really, and here's the, the takeaway for any, anyone else listening here. If you're thinking about a pivot or a shift the most important thing is that you make a decision and figure out the rest later. Because one thing that I've learned is all we have to do is follow the crumbs on the trail like Cancel and Gretel. You know, we're all building a plane in the sky and hoping it flies. We're all figuring it out. So the first thing is just making that decision. And so I just leapt and I didn't know what the hell was going to be you know, was coming for me was going to be happening. So I decided, like many women out there, I read Eat, Pray, Love when it came out by Elizabeth (laughs) Gilbert. And I was so enamored by it, by her story and the Balinese people. And I was talking to a friend and she said, you should go to Bali. I'm like, yeah, I will. I think I will. And I just, I still remember, I'd never been to, to Asia or Southeast, East Asia. And I still remember Uh, with my hand on the mouse, getting ready to buy the tickets, I was almost shaking because I thought this is crazy. What am I doing? Because I was going to travel alone, right? And I got a, I was going to get a visa. So that was really kind of the beginning. I went to Bali for two months. And that's where I just started doing things that I knew and loved from my spiritual woo woo days, I was giving um, intuitive readings to people. And I built a YouTube channel of about 4,000 followers. And really, I was just having fun. You know, I was going to, I had plenty of capital. So I thought, I'm just going to figure it out as I go. So I spent two months there. I decided to continue on the world tour. So I traveled for all of 2019, which was a real blessing considering all that's happened. I just feel so grateful to have had that experience. And then when I, when it was time to get back to work, then I was like, okay, now I have to get serious. And I really kind of refined what I was doing, my messaging and who I was helping. And so today what I'm doing is we teach what we know or where we've been. And so my area of expertise is really in that it doesn't have to be career transition, but it's really taking people when they're in that sweet spot of like crisis or some kind of a crisis. And we'll talk about this a little bit later, but in human design, I'm a heretic investigator, the five line five one and the line five, they come forward with practical solutions and they help people in crisis. So it's called the heretic. So people call on you when they need help, and then you're supposed to go away because people will project things on you. My love, and I didn't mention this, but when I was at the company, 
the startup company, I did some major event planning for them on on a big scale, like multi-day wine tour, Napa events, retreats for executives. And I just loved it. And the thing I loved about it is, you know how they say success leaves clues? I think for anyone thinking about a pivot, or even if they just want to become more fulfilled in their work, one of the best practices that you can do is really kind of reflect or even maybe take notes in a journal for one week. What what was I doing when I was really energized where it felt like time was stopping or time was just suspended? What was I doing then and what lights me up? What do I, when I'm talking to other people, what do I talk faster and faster about? For me, it was really bringing joy to people, creating memories in events and just surprising people. I just love the element of surprise. And so that's what I've taken. I've combined that with my transformational purpose coaching with retreats. I create little intimate magical experiences for people along with practical solutions and basically getting them over that bridge, whether it's career transition or an expansion of their purpose so that people can live in greater joy, ease, and flow. That was a long intro. (laughs) But it sounds like, despite the fact your trajectory of violinist to corporate America to creating luxury purpose-driven experiences for your clients, that was there was something translatable Mm -hmm. through from one to the other. And you took those pieces that spoke to you the most and feathered them into each next kind of evolution in your career thus far. Mm -hmm. What What piece of advice would you have for someone who has a big idea, right? I've heard the saying, graveyards are full of brilliant ideas, which is Mm -hmm. terrifyingly sad because people don't believe in their ideas enough to take that leap, right? To to go to Bali, to do those things that could begin to work on making that dream a reality. And so Mm -hmm. what advice would you have for someone who has a big idea and somehow that fear, that insecurity, something is stopping them? I think the biggest insight that I can share is the fear isn't going to go away. We all, we all feel the fear. And and that's kind of what, what I was referring to when I said, we're all just building the plane in the sky, you know, as a parent, you don't have a manual. So acknowledge and accept and allow that fear to be there. Oh, Hey, how, how are you doing? Welcome that fear. Let it be there. Realize that it's, it's normal. It's not a sign that you shouldn't take the action. And, and just to take imperfect action. Someone told me once, just do it really badly. Just, I, I remember during the pandemic, I decided to host a virtual summit, my first summit ever. And I, I had 21 speakers. I had the spreadsheet. I reached out to all of the speakers. I did everything myself from the promotion to the video editing. And it was a real nightmare, but it was also scary because once I put myself out there, I was on the hook. Right. I had all these speakers counting on me. They were going to be sharing it with their audiences. And I just had a moment of peace after the panic. And I just told myself, you know what? I'm going to do a really shitty job the first time. It's my first summit. And that permission, I think really, I mean, it it went great. It was very successful. I, I still had people months later emailing me saying, you know, your nightly summit got me through the pandemic. And I so looked forward to it at the end of the day. And that was like, okay, well, then it was the success, even if like right. one person said that. So my advice would be do it anyway, allow the fear in and also give yourself permission to do it badly, whatever yeah. it is. 
Yeah, it made me think about, I think when people go through difficult experiences, traumas, if you will, whatever that looks like, maybe it's emotional, maybe it's physical, whatever it is, dealing with the processing of that, you have to get to a place where you can allow space, where you can hold space for whatever that emotion is or whatever that feeling is, even if it's a bad feeling. Because if you just keep pushing it away and pushing it down and you know, and it grows and it grows bigger and bigger and yes. bigger and, and seems to have more power over you. And so what you said really resonated with me about just honoring the space of allowing that fear to be there, you know, mm-hmm. still pushing past it, embracing yeah. the, you know, being willing to do something not as a, a pro your first time or your second mm-hmm. time, your third time, but just doing it. Yes. That's where I've gotten most of my inspiration from people who, I mean, I don't care if it's Gary V or Elizabeth Gilbert or your favorite, you know, whoever you're, you look up to, they all started somewhere. And so I think the real hero's journey is just doing it is, is like going through that, that dark night of the soul and recognizing we all have it. And that's part of, it's part of a universal test as well. As soon as we state that we want something, the universe is like, Oh yeah, you want that? Let me take some glass plates here and throw them at your feet and see, you know, see if you put your tail between your legs and turn around and go home and you say, I don't want to play. I think that's that's the real hero's journey and struggle is pushing through that resistance. Yeah, absolutely. When I started this podcast, I had been wanting to do it for a long time and I was terrified. I was terrified mm-hmm. to suck. Um, <laughs> and I had struggled with, with in my past, really up until like the last five years or so, being so fearful of what everybody else in the world thought or had to say or uh, that I wouldn't do something the right way or say the right thing. And so I had to go into it with the mentality of, okay, I have to be completely open to the fact that my first 20, 60, 100 episodes, that I will suck, that I will be terrible at it. And yet by my 101st, I'm going to be a whole lot better than I was from that very first one. And so if I can do that, then I can do this. That's the only thing stopping me. I love it. (laughs) Silently (laughs) clapping here. Exactly. Exactly. My heart just like swelled. I love it. (laughs) So many people struggle with staying the course and you have a really strong sense of discipline in what you do Mm -hmm. and in your practices. How do you maintain Mm -hmm. that sense of discipline in what you do each day? Well, I can share the secret for me. And my first reaction when you said I have tremendous discipline, and it's something that I've heard before, I heard it with the violin, and I've heard it in in work. And my response, my internal response is, I don't. My It's like, it's not discipline, it's passion. Like, it's literally mm-hmm. that like desire. It's easy when you're doing something that you love and that you're interested in and that excites you. You, it's the, the obsession and the relentlessness is natural. So you have to find something where you're going on fumes. There's going to be things that you don't want to do. But if you love what you do, it's it doesn't feel like I think discipline itself, the word itself, the connotation is kind of heavy, right? It feels like austere, like a little bit heavy and, and negative, like discipline yourself to you know, we all, at least for me, I think about chores or like things that I had to do that I didn't want to do. So if you love doing it, it doesn't feel like discipline. Yeah. It's actually all your, what you did was you, you shared your lens, how you view discipline, which is different 
than maybe the just the traditional word. And I think also part of it, it's different for everyone. Sometimes it's nurture, sometimes it's nature. I think David Goggins is a perfect example of, I know you love him, right? I love, I love him. him. <laughs> what an amazing human. Oh my goodness. So yeah, he, his nature, everything was against him and he literally built himself. Like he created himself. There's that, there's like, you can create the internal fire and then I think part of the discipline for me, if you want to, if you want to call it drive or discipline was part of it for me was birth order. I mean, I grew up in a very, I was the eldest of two and I grew up in a little bit of a puritanical family. So very strict, very pure and clean. And, you know, it's, it's just like, I just had a, a very structured upbringing. So I think that that I carry that with me. It's still in my DNA. So that's part of it. Uh, the passion's part of it. And then just like refusal to quit. You mentioned David Goggins and the, and the, I always reference when I'm talking about David Goggins, usually for anybody who knows him and knows mm -hmm. the story and his journey, which is freaking mind blowing. Yeah. Some things that he has experienced that a lot of people probably wouldn't even survive through. Mm -hmm. And what he goes back to talking about there is that you have to dig into your cookie jar when things are at their hardest. Do you see that as well? Do you see when things are hard that there's this, that there's a darkness that you can tap into to fuel pushing forward? I would love to sound as impressive as David Goggins, but I, <laughs> I think, I think for me, and this is only a recent revelation for me, one, one thing that it just in my old age, one thing that I have learned is that if I'm having a very dark day, like a, the day where you want to, where there's tears and you want to quit and you want to fold. I've, I've recognized a pattern. Like I'm all about recognizing patterns and I know that pattern. And I know that when that day comes, I, I like rejoice because I know that tomorrow is going to be amazing. Something there's going to be some kind of breakthrough, you know, it's the breakdown before the breakthrough. Mm -hmm. So on a micro level, if I have that day where it's really dark, my cookie jar moment is tomorrow is going to be amazing. I cannot wait until tomorrow. All I have to do is ride this wave, kick back, read a good book. And tomorrow is going to be sunny. No pun intended. <laughs> uh, it sounds to me that you can view the dark days through a lens of gratitude then. The gratitude for tomorrow, the gratitude for when that is over. Absolutely. And I also I also have a a belief of faith and faith in the idea that the things that seem like the biggest curse are usually our biggest blessings and it's just that we don't see them in that moment. So I think that that faith also helps. Yeah. Things that are happening for us instead of to us. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Who needs like the victim mentality? That's so 1995, right? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't serve anyone. That's, that's, no. uh, that's one thing we should all know is the victim mentality serves no one. <laughs> exactly. I'm curious along your journey, have there been times, you know, I think a lot of conversation topics go back to whether it's imposter syndrome kind of the insecurity piece. And we primarily hear about this with women, but I'm starting mm -hmm. to hear a little bit more and more some men talking about this, which I love. I appreciate mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. But have there been times along your journey where you have kind of run into self-doubt? Oh, is the Pope Catholic? <laughs> I mean, hello, McFly. Absolutely. <laughs> self-doubt, I think, 
there's the female, the woman aspect of it, where we're still carrying like hundreds of years in our DNA of being quiet, not allowed to use our voice, be smaller, don't don't be as visible or don't offend people. Or I think that repression or that voluntary repression or even unconscious repression in us has, it sows the seeds of self-doubt because we're, it's almost like we can't trust ourselves to just express freely. So it's, it's kind of like, so part of that is we need to come back into congruence with ourselves, the woman aspect about it. And then there's also and starting anything new and everyone's going to feel self-doubt when they go into a new arena. The hero's journey is actually that journey is there's a, a map of a circle. And so there's three main periods. So there's the separation, there's the initiation, and then there's the return. And I think the easiest way, I think a lot of people have heard of Joseph Campbell's work, but the easiest way to explain it is to use the Wizard of Oz. So there's the separation, and that is the stepping out of the known world into the unknown world. And so for Dorothy, that was she has a dream and all of a sudden she's in a strange land. And then there's the initiation and that's all the tests and trials that we go through. You know, she had to meet, deal with the wicked witch and she met helpers. There were helpers and allies, but also enemies along the way. And then the return, the return with the elixir is the resurrection, the road back. You find some, you come back with something new. So to answer your question, not to go completely off on a tangent, I think that there is insecurity and self-doubt anytime you step into a new arena. And even I, I hear this with people who are, you know, renowned, whether it could be leaders or speakers, they all experience the imposter syndrome. So there's an aspect of that also in people that never really goes away, I feel like, that will also always grapple with that. It's part of the human condition. And again, I think that's something else that we can just allow it, recognize it. So we're observing it, allowing it to be there. And I actually heard this hack, if you will, from Rhonda Byrne, the creator of The Secret. She disappeared for many years after The Secret, but she's come back out with her new book, The Greatest Secret. So she's back on the media circuit. But she said whenever she has a negative feeling, the way she dissolves it is to welcome it. But she actually uses her hands or arms and she kind of opens them as in like, as if she's hugging it, like, you know, you're welcome here. Like you belong, basically. You have a seat at this table. So anytime there's a feeling of imposter syndrome or self-doubt, you don't have to do this in the office, but just to open your arms. And she said, there's something about opening your arms and letting it be there that it makes it immediately dissolve. I love that. And I think that may have been where I heard the, she was on a, I think she was on the, a podcast where she, and it was like one of her first ones that she had done after her book. And, and really, she doesn't do a whole lot of interviews, which is really interesting. Right. Yeah, And she had shared that. And I think that was actually where that came from that I was talking about earlier about when you have that trauma or that negative emotion, holding space for it, I, that, that very similar uh, conversation around that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's stuck in the body. So in terms of the trauma, I think Mastin Kip is one of the, the best at, at the forefront of trauma healing. And there's a lot of shamans you can go to and hypnotists, but I think the important thing to remember is that unhealed or unfaced trauma will cause an addiction. Like addiction is the byproduct of that. So 
It doesn't necessarily need to be drugs or alcohol or sex or any of the other addictions. It could be workaholism. It could be um, video games. It could be anything really. But um, I, I just feel like physical activity and somatic therapies is, is some of the best, one of the best ways to deal with trauma because it's trauma is basically, it's just stuck in our bodies. And can I share with you what someone gave, gave a definition of trauma that I've heard recently? It was, Please. it was, um, Itzhak Berry. He is a shaman and he's based in New York, but he's studied with shamans all over the world. And I interviewed him and he gave me the best definition of trauma I've ever heard. He explained it this way. He said, trauma is when something happens to you and you feel frozen. You feel powerless. You can't move. So he said, one example he gave was there's a lifeguard on the beach and they see someone drowning. And they swim out to them and they can't get them in time and they drown. That trauma is in them. It's going to stay in them and it's, they're going to have flashbacks. However, if the same lifeguard saw someone, a, a child flailing around and swam out to him and was able to save him, then he's the hero. He, he was able to transcend the challenge. And so there will be, there will be no trauma in his cells because he, he mastered the situation. It's when we feel powerless. And that's why sometimes, you know, the trauma, you know, it doesn't have to be something horrible. It can be our perception of something when we're three years old. So that's really what lodges the trauma in our cells and our body. We're frozen. He actually, he, he shared with me, he lives in New York and he said now sometimes when he wakes up and it's like nine, it's around 9am and it's a really crisp day, he'll, he'll start feeling very woozy and slightly panicky because that's basically the exact conditions it was during 9-11. It was around 9 a.m. on a crisp morning. I don't know, maybe it was 50s or 60s. So whenever the weather conditions are the same, he feels that. So it's really interesting. Yeah, isn't it? What are some of your staple daily routines that you practice to keep grounded and focused? Hmm. Well, I, I am going to share a couple old ones and then I'll share one new one that I've been incorporating recently. So before I have my coffee, um, this is something I've been doing ever since 2014 when I had a very difficult relationship that I was healing over. I study transcend, transcendental meditation. And um, so I do that. The first thing when I wake up, I sit there for 20 minutes, I meditate. And even before I touch my coffee, and then I bring my coffee back and then I write just to like clean out the brain to kind of like focus me on like, what are my top three? That's something that I've learned as well recently that I used to have like horrifyingly long to-do lists. And now I've just realized like, what are the three most important things? And that doesn't mean I only get three things done. It just means that it focuses me. I feel much less overwhelmed and less stressed. And then the other grounding practice I have that I learned from Mel Robbins, which came from her book, I believe the second book, High Five Something. I give myself a high five in the mirror. <laughs> have you heard of that? I have. I love Mel Robbins. And yes, it's, it's interesting. It's such a simple practice. Mm -hmm. And yet when, you, when she explains where that came from for her practice and 
when you think about sports and you think about when you're congratulating somebody and you think about all of these positive experiences, it's this connection, it's this, it's the touch, it's, you know, all of that together. So I love that. Yeah. I mean, we can't undo it. We, we just have a positive association. It's kind of like something my brother said once. He said, he said this to me when we were growing up, actually. He said, when I have kids, whenever they're getting whiny or grumpy, I'm just going to make them skip around the block because you can't, <laughs> you can't be angry and be skipping at the same time. It's physically impossible. Yeah. It's kind of the same idea, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've talked a bit about human design, just as we've had some conversations prior to this. Mm-hmm. Would love to, I would love for you to share some background on what human design is and really how has that been an instrument in your spirituality? Mm-hmm. So human design is it's a combination of the ancient systems and modern science. So quantum physics, biochemistry, and it's basically a genetic blueprint of the universe when we were born. And it combines the four great, great esoteric systems of the world, the Chinese I Ching astrology, uh, the Kabbalah and the Hindu chakra system. So they're all combined in the, your human design blueprint and The way I explain it is it's really when astrology kind of tells us who we are, right? It's the snapshot of the sky when we were born, our proclivities and our challenges. Human design is more a tool in how to operate with the world, how to make decisions best for our design and basically our energy, our auric field. There are so many layers to human design. It's kind of difficult to nutshell it, but, but that's, that's how I describe it. And one of the reasons I started using it um, beyond my original tools that I was using for transformation, like the hero's journey or astrology, the North nodes for purpose is that the human design system is so comprehensive and so deep that you can, you can just, it's kind of like a thread. You can just, or an onion, you can continue to unpeel the onions and the whole, one of the goals of human design is really to have an awakening. And the understanding is that we've all been conditioned and programmed, programmed from society, programmed from the media, programmed from our parents. And it's not a, it's not an anti uh, pushing against. It's more uh, like peeling back and becoming who we really are without the conditioning. And so that's kind of the process of human design. That's fascinating. What has been the most valuable life lesson that you have come upon in your journey thus far? The most valuable life lesson. Such a great question. Um, It's hard to pick just one. So I think for me, and this is something I had to learn the hard way, um, probably it would be keep your own counsel. And by that, I don't mean you're not open to hear other people's experiences or advice. I mean, I always try to learn from what other people are doing. But at the end of the day, we're all walking our own path. You know, we all have a set path and and experience. And, you know, I I think that it's good to take advice and be open-minded. But at the end of the day, we have to be right with our soul and we know more than anyone else about our experiences, whether that's a relationship, this is kind of digressing, but I always think it's a bad idea when people start complaining to other people, even if it's a close friend or a relative or a sibling about their spouse, 
probably not a good idea, you know, because that's something where the partners should be, you know, turning towards each other. In that respect, I think once you start opening up that can of worms and talking to other people about your relationship, which should be sacred if you're in a marriage, then they start giving you advice. They might even start disliking your spouse because you only bring negative things to them. And so that's one example. Someone told me that once they said, in terms of relationships, I think it's always great to keep your own counsel. So I thought that made so much sense. So I took that advice and I've also kind of applied it to to everything else. You can get other people's insights and information, but at the end of the day, the buck stops with you. So you have to learn to trust yourself and your own counsel. I like that. If you knew what you know now, when you were 25, what advice would you give yourself? You know, I remember my 25th birthday being the most depressing of all my milestones, which is strange, right? Because it's not a huge milestone. But for some reason, I, I specifically remember I was eating a gallon of ice cream. I still had the metabolism of a hummingbird. So I was very like lithe and wiry. So I could afford that. But I just remember feeling a little bit depressed, like I'm not a kid anymore. Like I actually have to pull things together now. I'm like a grown up. And so it was really kind of a grieving period for me. But but what if I knew what I know now, what advice would I give to myself as a 25-year-old? Well, this is very vulnerable, what I'm about to share. And I won't give the specifics, but I would just say, my grandfather always used to say, life is messy. He'd say that a lot. And so the advice I give to my 25-year-old would be, life is messy, but that doesn't mean that you need to see how much of a mess you can make of it. That would be good advice. Yeah, I was a little wild. I'd say color in the lines a little bit more. You're You're not necessarily special if you color outside the lines and break all the rules. You provide coaching and coaching experiences for others. And I think coaching is so important, whether it's with ourselves, with others, receiving it from others, providing it to others. But I love to ask people who do coaching specifically, mm-hmm. what is something that you're still working on? Absolutely. I love that you asked that question. And I was thinking about that. I think about it frequently, but I think one of the things that I could definitely do better at is having the blinders on, you know, like the horses have those blinders on. Not especially in the world of social media, I try not to spend that much time as little as possible on social media. But the fact remains that we're all out there front and center putting on a show for everyone, right? And I think that it's so easy to slip into even if it's only like a few minutes during the day, you might see something and it might trigger a feeling of like this deflation, like this sinking feeling, like, oh, they're, they're where I want to be or, you know, compare the comparison syndrome. And I think it's so dangerous. So I think that that definitely sneaks up and I have to like pull myself back and remind myself just like JLo does. I'm only competing against myself. Love it. What does greatness look like to you? So I've thought about greatness. Um, When you say greatness, the branding is so great that I can't even think of greatness without thinking about Lewis House, his (laughs) school of greatness. Yes. So I would say, you know, I, I go back to this memory of I was 17 years old when my grandfather died. It was kind of unexpectedly. 
And probably the first time that I really faced death on that on a deeper level. And um, I remember someone that I didn't know. I was only 17. I was crying a lot at the funeral. And some strange man came up to me and he kind of pulled me aside. And he said, you know, your grandfather was a great man and he had integrity. And I just thought that was, I was so humbled by how kind that was for him to, to take the time to say that to me. I think what he meant when he said many years, I thought, well, what does that mean? I mean, it's, it's obvious, right? Your grandfather was a great man, but why did he feel the need to come up and tell me that? And so I think that what I take from that is my definition of greatness is it's people who go, who do the difficult thing, people who do the uncomfortable thing, people who take the long road. So it's kind of like going against the the grain, doing what not everyone else would do, you know, setting yourself apart and, and giving yourself challenges and being, being like, let's see if I can be like, 2%, let's see if I can do in this situation what only 2% of humans would do. That to me is greatness. So I do okay. want to share with you some nuggets that I got out of your human design chart that I would like to share. So feel free to stop me anytime. But so there are different types and profiles. I'm going to share with you your type, which is your type is manifesting generator. So manifesting generators they're jugglers. They they need to be, it's actually very normal for you to have a, a million plates spinning. You need that to feel alive. And your signature, what your signature is what brings you fulfillment. So you'll know that you are being fulfilled if you're in your signature, which is satisfaction. And your not self is frustration. So this is a great tool. Like if you're ever feeling frustrated about something, it means that that's your not self, that you're not in alignment. So if you were to throw away everything else that you knew about the world and just go, just try this as an experiment, one or two days, just ask yourself throughout the day, is, does this satisfy me? Whether it's what, whatever you're eating or, you know, what you're doing for work or someone you're considering to have on the podcast is, am I satisfied? So that's your signature is satisfaction and your strategy as a manifesting generator your, your auric field, your energy is like a magnet. It, you basically are attracting to you, into your aura, everything that you need. Generators and manifesting generators are similar in this regard that we don't necessarily, if, if we go around and try to force or make things happen too much, we'll become frustrated. So your strategy is to wait to respond. Now, a lot of people think waiting to respond as a strategy means that you're supposed to sit around and do nothing. And that's certainly not true. But the first part of decision making for a manifesting generator is to something will come into your field of vision or awareness. Maybe you'll get an opportunity in your email inbox. Maybe you'll see a billboard. You'll hear a song. As long as the thought doesn't come from your mind and it comes from your environment, then you'll you'll be you'll be correct. It'll you'll be more fulfilled. So the key for manifesting generators is to slow down and go methodically. So one takeaway is slow is fast for manifesting generators. And your profile, I'm a heretic investigator. Um, the first number is the conscious personality number. It's what we're aware of. And the second number is the unconscious, what we're not aware of. So your numbers are one, three. So that's the investigator slash martyr. And the three line, it sounds horrible, the martyr, but it's all it means is that 
you are here in this lifetime to go through, to experience things. Experiences are important. If your parents, um, when you were growing up, told you not to put your hand in the fire, you would have to try it out yourself. You just want to experience <laughs> things. It's the trial and error, right? So that's that's part of your profile. And the, our profile is the costume for our life purpose. And so it's great because the life purpose is in your human design chart. It's your personality, sun and earth and your design sun and earth. And so your it's also known as the incarnation cross and your incarnation cross is the right angle cross of Eden, which I love. I think that's so beautiful. So, and it's exactly what it sounds like you, when you may have come into this lifetime or, you know, when you were born somewhat reluctantly, not that you would remember that, but, and the reason is that you're here to kind of find a slice of Eden on earth, like the garden of Eden, like that heaven on earth. And then to share that with those around you. Let's see, you've got a zeal for knowledge, a zest for life, a zeal for knowledge and experiences. You're extremely curious. I mean, all the way all over your chart, I kept seeing research, curiosity, learning. And so there's a lot of ways that you can express your purpose. But a few things that I pulled out here, because you asked how to and, you know, one of the questions was how to best share that um, and impact other people. Am I correct? Yes, that's exactly right. Okay. Yeah. How do I take yeah. that and and provide the most impact, positive impact to others? So it says here that you're you're here to do really deep research and independent research and dig and getting curious, but you're really genius at taking complex ideas and making them into something simple and pr- basically presenting that independent research and material to others. You're great at improving and organizing patterns. You also have the 45 gate, which is the gate of kings and queens. And in the I Ching hexagram, it's it's gathering. So you are great at gathering people. When you have something to share, like something really, something very simple and um, tight or very succinct to share, you've got a talent to communicate details. Um, that's going to be part of your holy grail to success is making the complex, taking the complex to the simple. You can share that in very precise ways. You have a lot of gates off of your throat chakra and the throat chakra is what um, manifest, the throat center, pardon me, is what manifests. So there's a lot of different ways you can share that information. You could do um, the detail oriented there. You can do them in very unique and exciting ways because you have the 56 gate. So um, the 56 is the wanderer in the I Ching hexagram. You could just create uh, new experiences for people to learn the information. And, and then also the 45, the Kings and Queens. So I just see you through the course of your life gathering research. You're always going to be digging and learning and delivering, not only delivering things in simple ways, but also taking all of your joy and light and love to the people. And let me just read this, this little passage to you here. I got this from, if anyone is interested, it's called The Book of Destinies by Chayton Parkin and Carola Eastwood. It talks about your personal life theme, the Garden of Eden here. So deep is the longing in your soul that you can take on a lifetime's journey to find your way back to the garden and that place of love, light, and intelligence you sense exists on some level. Your search might take you on travels in and out of relationships through career changes and living situations. 
until you find, finally discover that this wonderland you so earnestly seek is and always has been inside of you. And wow. you also have the same life purpose or life theme as Paul McCartney and Donald Trump. And both of them, I think what they have in common is they're both extreme optimists. I think they're both very optimistic individuals. So so that makes sense. That's really fascinating. When you said the, the reluctance... Um, or came into the world reluctantly, it made me, the thought that it brought about was, as I mentioned earlier, it's probably only been five or six years since I really kind of came into a way of being where I have the ability and the confidence to own the space I'm in and to Mm -hmm. hold my ground and to be grounded in that. And for a lot of years, I battled all kinds of things that had to do with self-esteem. And, you know, like I said, just always being worried about what everybody else was thinking. And and so I came to this place where I thought, as uh, Rachel Hollis so famously has said, uh, everybody else's opinion is none of my business or other mm-hmm. people's opinion is none of my business. And, and so it's funny, those things that you say that resonates with kind of the journey that I've been on to... I'm incredibly curious by nature and mm-hmm. I want to take all that I learn and all of my lessons and all of the bad decisions I made uh, and the, the things that missteps that people have made along their journey. And that's the whole intention behind this podcast is to serve others by way of sharing all these experiences so that they can hopefully learn by way of hearing uh, some lessons versus having to endure them themselves. I hope you're taking notes and I hope you write a book. You got to write a book. <laughs> I, I, especially I, as a, you know, I, I love writing. I can't wait. Can't wait to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would love for you to share where the audience can connect with you and find out more about what you do. You have a workbook on Amazon. So I would love for you to kind of share a little bit of what, about what that is. And then we'll put links in the notes, show notes as well to directly take folks to that. Absolutely. Thank you. So if you go into Amazon and you just type in the search bar, find your purpose now and Carrie Ann, you should find it there. It's a workbook based on the 10 tenets of Meraki. Meraki is a Greek word for doing something, putting something of ourself into something with soul, passion and creativity. So it's really like a a Greek word for a labor of love. And so I created this workbook around the 10 steps to really expand your purpose and live, cre- live and create a life that you love and share it with others. So that's available on Amazon. And, and also people can go to my website, dreamlaunchnow.com. If they wanted to book a call with me about their own transformational experience, they can do that. It's at the top of the page. They can just book a call that way. Wonderful. Well, Carrie, thank you so much for taking the time. It's been a delight to get to know you better and to hear your continued evolution and um, certainly want to stay connected and hear as you continue to grow and evolve even more. You really are bringing a lot of light to people's lives. So keep shining. Thanks for listening today. I hope you'll stick around. If you liked this episode, will you do me a favor? Go leave a review and share what you liked about it. Or heck, share what you didn't like about it. You'll struggle to find someone more open to feedback. And if you have ideas or comments on an episode, you can actually leave me a voice message directly. If you go to evokegreatness.com on the Contact Me tab, you can hit a button and leave me a voicemail. Y'all know I love a good quote, so I will leave you with this from Jeremy Coates. 
Being a champion has nothing to do with sports. It's a mindset, a skill of looking at challenges that seem impossible and rising up to overcome.